I am Lee Hedgebantelis, the Principal of Bryden's Lawyers, and welcome to episode two of Law Pod, the podcast brought to you by Bryden's Lawyers. Today we're going to do something a little bit different. Last week we spoke about a very important legal matter, but this week we're going to speak to someone who has become particularly important to the firm and to me personally. Many of you are aware that we have quite a number of very high profile sporting partnerships, not least of which is the New South Wales State of Origin, the West Tigers, the Bryden's Lawyers, Sydney Uni Flames, Mounties, etc. And through these partnerships, we've been able to form relationships with many of the administrators and the front office, but also many of the players and one of the relationships that we do cherish is the one that we're going to speak about today and that's with the king of Leichhardt Mr Robbie Farah. Uh, Welcome Robbie. (laughs) Thanks for having me mate. No no my pleasure. You've done a number of these podcasts have you? No not too many actually so this will be my first so hopefully it goes very smooth. This is all audio audio. uh, not visual so um, so we can relax. Third week of retirement? Yep. Uh, How has it been? It's been really good obviously uh, having retired a lot of friends of mine that have shared the journey with me through my career have obviously wanted to catch up and kind of celebrate enjoy a beer together so it's been a pretty fun couple of weeks to be honest. I've had a, a lot to drink and a lot of uh, crap food as well so I've put on a bit of weight but I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Obviously it was a bit of a uh, whirlwind finish to my career the last couple of months and disappointing then that we couldn't make the semi-finals but to guess to sit back now and look back on my career and I take a bit of pride in what I was able to achieve over the 17 years that I played um, especially with my friends and family around me has been something I've really enjoyed. I noticed you posted yesterday on um, Instagram that you were training. Take yeah. a train. Uh, why? Oh because I've put on a bit of weight and okay. uh, I think I I just need to keep a bit of a routine. My housemate uh, trains every morning and they got a bit of a training group with Benny Galea, uh, oh, okay. Tigers legend as well. Uh, Brad Haddon, Australian cricket legend. Yep. They go and do an F45 session every morning at 5.45. So now I'm waking up, I've retired, I'm waking up at 5 a.m. When I played, I was sleeping until mm. eight o'clock. So I don't know how that works, but well, I've really enjoyed getting back into training and keeping myself fit. I think that's something that uh, I'll continue to do. I think. You don't lose the habits that you create throughout your career. And I've always been someone that's enjoyed my training and enjoyed a healthy lifestyle. And now that I've retired from football, uh, that doesn't mean that my lifestyle will change. No. All right, well, let's take you back to that last game at Leichhardt. Right, phenomenal atmosphere, a sellout crowd. Your final game, the 69ers were there, of course, the Balmain Premiership winning team from 1969. Josh Reynolds, I think, was his 150th as well. I mean, do you get a chance to stop and take it all in, or is it something that's only after the event that can you look back on? I mean, what what's the sensory overload like on that day? Yeah, it was a, it was a weird day for me, especially because I knew earlier in the week that I wasn't going to be playing, which for myself was disappointing because I loved Leichhardt Oval so much, and I knew that that was going to be the last game for me there and to not have that opportunity to play was something that was disappointing but I went there that morning to embrace the crowd and embrace the atmosphere knowing that I wasn't going to play I wanted to soak in the day so I went there and I was out there engaging with the crowd and, and really enjoying the moment I was out there with the warm-up for the boys and then got the call that Tubbsy got injured in the warm-up and then had to run inside get my boots on and get ready to play and as you said it was a, a pretty emotional day but the way it all unfolded is, is something I'll, I'll never ever forget and I guess drama filled right to the end of my career. Well it's something we'll never forget either I mean I recently spoke with um, uh, Blocker Roach of course and we were talking about the 89 grand final and Blocker made common house they're probably more famous for losing that grand final yeah. than for winning it and I suppose a lot can be said about the way the Tigers finished this season as well yeah. that will always be remembered your final game you know just missing out on the semi-finals and speaking of that I, I recently addressed of course at the Kelly Barnes Awards where I spoke on the night and I said that although we came ninth again it felt different this year like feels like mm. we've turned a corner do, do you agree and do you think and how much of that has got to do with the new coach Madge definitely um, obviously you know I've been at the club for a long time and there was a period there you know four or five years ago where I think the, the club really lost its way and lost its identity but now I see the club has really turned the corner and we've got people there at the club 
all pulling in the one direction from the admin to the coaching staff to the football department to the players um, and we saw that this year on the field and off the field and even even with you mate with this with the sponsors that we've got on board yeah, everyone wants to make the Tigers successful again and we're going to do whatever it takes to make that happen and as long as that takes we'll keep persisting with that and as, as I mentioned for, for a period there I think the club really lost its way but now it's great to see us back on track and, and like you said it was, a, it was a different night this year and hopefully that'll hold us in good stead to go one better next year. Uh, when Madge was appointed I spoke to you at the time and I said to you you know what do you think he's going to do for the club and you said he's going to be the best thing the club's yeah. had for quite some time it's worked out that way hasn't it? I mean yeah. really has bought into that Tigers culture the players yeah. have bought in he's really introduced a level of discipline and focus yeah. that we haven't seen for a long time. Yeah well he's a reflection of I think our brand and our club. He's a passionate man. He wears his heart on his sleeve. He really cares about each individual in the in the team, in the club, and he cares, he cares about the fans and the members and the sponsors. And you guys can see that. Everyone can see that. And everyone's buying into to what he's trying to do at the club. And you know, he's he's so hardworking and, and he wants success. He wants sustained success at the club. And as as I mentioned when he when he signed, I think he's the best man to do that. All right, let's talk about you personally. Though your career, 303 first grade games, and I'm told 70 tries. Is that right? 70 tries. That's a lot of tries. That's the most ever by well, NRL it, hooker. It says here yeah, the, yeah. the most by any NRL hooker. Now, yeah. there are different types of hookers, of course. Attacking hookers are more defensive and more yeah. uh, organising the like. But you've always been a very attacking hooker. Who did you model yourself on? Was there anyone that you grew up watching or like that played you know, first grade that you, you thought to yourself, that's the way that you wanted to play? No, I think for myself, I grew up playing in the hearts. I was always a half and five eighths. So when I got moved to hooker, I still, I don't think I lost my identity as a half. I took the, that skill set and just introduced it to the hooking game. Also, it was a bit more challenging because when you're playing half, you only got to make 10 or 15 tackles a game. When you're a hooker, you got to make 50. So uh, physically that was demanding, but I never wanted to lose my my attacking identity. So I think early on, I was definitely seen as an attacking hooker, but I think when you look at my career, that definitely changed as my career went on. I was never renowned for my defense, but I think the back end of my career, defense was probably the strongest part of my game. You obviously start to slow down as you get a bit older and I lost a bit of that attacking flair that I had as a young kid, but uh, defensively, I think that was the foundation of my game and that's what I guess took me to the representative level and things like that because at, at those sorts of levels your game has to be built off your defence and as a, as a young kid I think that was always a question mark over my game but as I got older I proved myself that I could handle the defensive load and, and that's why I got the opportunity to play State of Origin and for Australia. I'm a big fan of the clubs maintaining a relationship with their greats. That's why I like to see Blocker and, and Cyril and Wayne Pearce and the boys at all the games there at Leichhardt and the like and to a lesser extent Scandalous of course because you know I mean, he regards himself as one of the Wests and then West Tigers greats. Uh, in fact, the first player to score, was it, for the, the joint venture? Yeah. And does he remind you of that every time you have coffee with him? He does. There's still a debate whether it was actually a try. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. The, no bunker back back then? Yeah, so everyone still thinks it's a knock-on, but he's adamant he got the ball down. Oh, no, I hear it every week. Every every week we have coffee, right. I, I hear it every week. So we'll hang on to that one. Yeah, so the club cannot lose players like you and people of your calibre. So what role can you fulfil with that club? And I don't want to get into any controversial areas about ambassadorships and what. We'll let Pasco do with all that. <laughs> Apart from that, coaching, for example, is that something that interests you? Yeah, look, I've spoken to Madge about it too. I, I don't think I'd like to get into full-time coaching at this stage, but he's definitely spoken to me about staying involved with the club next year and working with the young hookers that we're going to have there. Um, obviously, I've got a, a whole heap of knowledge from my experiences in, in the NRL, and if I can pass that on to the young kids coming through, then I'm more than happy to do that. We've, we've also got Jacob Little there at the club who has had another injury setback, which is something that I dealt with as a young kid too. So, you know, I can talk to him about you know, coming back from injury and dealing with those adversities. And then we've got Billy Walters coming to the club next year as well, who is going to need some help in the hooking position. So yeah, definitely stay involved in some sort of coaching. And whether that ends up me going into full-time coaching down the track, I'm, I'm not too sure at this stage. Yeah, that, that's a tragedy for young Jacob, but I know that he'll come back for that. But he's such a quality young man and a quality player as well. 
Yeah, he is, and he, he's got a lot of potential, and the, and the club's got a lot of time for him. So, uh, yeah, we'll be patient, and hopefully he can get, get himself back on track. Robbie, I recently attended uh, the Balmain District Rugby League Awards, and they were hosted by Paul Surinan, and it was recognition of a lot of people that assist and partake in the game at the grassroots level. Volunteers, coaches, people that run the canteens and the like. And the thing that struck me was the number of people of Lebanese descent who are now involved in the game. And I kept making remarks on the night, this has all got to be because of Robbie. This has got to be people. I mean, it, for me, it was George Paponis. He was yeah. the first Greek to come through and play yeah. the game, represented yeah. Australian, Captain Australia and the like. And, you know, wearing blue and white, of course, for the Bulldogs was huge amongst the Greek, Greek community. You're very aware of your ethnicity mm. and very proud of it, and mm. as you should be. Do you see that influence falling through the more ethnic kids playing rugby league as opposed to soccer, which what would have been the case? Definitely. I guess Hazem was the first one that really paved the way for the young Lebanese kids of this generation. I remember looking up to Hazem as a young kid and then, then myself, you know, and, and we only had one Lebanese player in the NRL when Hazem was playing, but now we've got, you know, five, six or seven of us. And then hopefully in 10 or 20 years, there'll be 20 or 30 of us. But I definitely see myself as a role model within the Lebanese community and especially when I got the opportunity to go back and play for the Cedars during the World Cup and I saw the impact that we had on the community. You know, it's a it's a very diverse culture, the Lebanese one, and obviously you've got your, your Christians and your Muslims and, you know, there's all that debate going on around religion. But during the World Cup when we were the Cedars, there weren't Lebanese Muslims and there weren't Christian Muslims. They were just Lebanese supporting the Cedars. Uh, we all, they all came together as one and we, we united that community. And I think that that's the power that we have in our sport. And I had kids coming up to me during the World Cup and, and since telling me that their dream now isn't to grow up and play for the Kangaroos, their dream is to grow up grow up and play for the Cedars because we gave them we gave them that dream from, from them seeing us represent our country during the World Cup. So that, that's a massive impact. That, that is the massive impact we can have. And I think um, obviously a lot of kids at a very young age, they, they go down different paths, whether it's drugs or crime or whatever it may be. But if we can give them rugby league and keep them on the straight and narrow, we can give them something positive in their life. And that's something I'm really enjoying and hopefully I can continue to do down the track. All right, throughout your career, West Tigers, state of origin, city country, now you've captained. Yep. Okay, what separates a good captain from a great captain. Yeah, it's a tough one. There's different sorts of captains. I've, I've played under obviously different sorts of captains and everyone's got their own style. Obviously my style is, you know, I just like to lead by my actions. You know, I think sometimes that can be a good thing. Sometimes that can be a bad thing. It depends the team you're in at that, in that time. And I definitely learned a lot as I went on as a captain about, I think a lot of it's about man management too. You can't just be one captain for everybody. You gotta be a different captain for the different characters in your team. Some people need a kick up the backside. Some people need a pat on the shoulder and say, come on mate, like, things are gonna be all right. So the thing I learned as a captain, uh, the longer I went on was how to deal with my teammates from person to person and depending on what, what they needed at that particular time. One of the things that retiring players are often asked is to identify the best player they've ever played with or against or the like. And I always think that's a pretty uncomfortable mm. sort of question because you don't want to offend anybody. But you've played with some greats over the years, particularly with the West. So we'll just focus on the West yeah. Tigers. And yep. one of them that you and I both know personally is you know, Nella Tuiaki. Mm. I mean, one of the great wingers in the game and could have gone on and done some wonderful things. But you've really been blessed, haven't you, by playing with some quality players in all your time with the West Tigers. Yeah, I have. And as you said, it's hard to pinpoint one because they're all in different positions. So they're all great in their own right in their position. But as you said, Taniella was one of the most destructive wingers I've ever played with. Obviously, the obvious one is Benji as well. Benji's a person or a player that I've has done things that I've never seen other guys do. You know, it even amazes me, even on, at the, on the training paddock. He'll come up with a play that I just shake my head. Like, How did you do that? Gareth Ellis, the impact he had when we signed him from England, came over the West Tigers, got our player of the year three years running, had a massive impact on our club. Brett Hodgson's another one who, pound for pound, is probably the toughest guy I've ever played with. Like, you look at Brett Hodgson and he looks like a school kid, mm. like, even now. 
Um, and it's great that he's back involved in the club yeah, as well. It's great, yeah, yeah. It's great to have him back involved in the club. Now, he was a player that, skill-wise, probably the most skillful I've ever seen in his position. But toughness, he used to get bashed every single week. Like, he was 70 kilos ringing wet, and he used to get bashed, but he'd just get up every time. In and fact, keep getting up and keep getting up. I think he's still 70 kilos. He's still 70 kilos. We used to call him Monty Burns. Oh, okay. He's got a body like Monty. You take your shirt off at training, and you see his ribs hanging out, and it's like Monty Burns no, I from the Simpsons. I'd, so, I'd rather not um, So, like, he's probably one of the greatest and toughest I've ever played with. Another one's Liam Fulton. Liam Fulton, to me, yeah, he was a 95 kilo back rower. If Liam Fulton was 105 kilos, he'd play for Australia and New South Wales. He's probably one of the smartest and toughest rugby league players I've ever, ever played with as well. So, yeah, I've been pretty fortunate to play with some, some great players over my time. All right, well, that's your that's your football career. Now, you've moved on from that and you've yep. been able to incorporate your own business, 247. Yep. And we know where the 247 came from. It may or may not apply anymore, yeah. of course, something you might have to give some thought to. But I really like the catchphrase, you know, money can buy experiences. What have you learned as a rugby league, as a professional athlete, captain, that you've been able to translate into business? Yeah, obviously you learn a lot. I think there's a lot of, I guess, similarities between sport and, and business. And it's something I'm looking at uh, hopefully being successful in. And I'm really enjoying growing my business, 247. As you said, money can buy experiences. and I think just taking what I learned through my rugby league career and, and putting it into this business is something I'm, I'm really enjoying and something I'll continue to grow. So really looking forward to the next phase of my life and, and getting stuck in a 247 and seeing where I can take that. Well, and that includes, I think, uh, the Super Bowl, Super Bowl, which is in Miami next Miami, year. Yeah, yeah, February, okay. yeah. And I understand yeah. that I've been invited and you're covering the entire cost of the trip. Is that right? I thought you were paying for oh, the okay. for, uh, <laughs> you got plenty, mate. So okay. as, as the slogan says, money can buy experience. Oh, I see. Okay. Not money okay. can't buy. I must have misunderstood. So. <laughs> All right. Uh, final question. Um, I had Nofaluma over at my place recently and he ate four kilos uh. of, of chicken snizzle. <laughs> yeah. Do you rate Nofaluma as much as he rates himself or does anyone? Uh, you know what? It's a, good, it's a perfect opportunity for me to slag Nofaluma here, but I've got a lot of time for David. He's a, he's a really good kid. Try to take him under my wing as a, as a young young boy, and he's, he's come from a lot of hardship, and to see him doing so well uh, now is really pleasing. I still remember, because I used to be in him all the time. I said, mate, you know, football doesn't last long. Be smart with your money. Buy a property. Do all those things. And I still remember the, the time he called me, Yeah, and he was, he was almost in tears on the phone telling me he'd bought his first property, and I couldn't have been prouder of him. And He's playing some great footy. He loves the West Tigers, and hopefully he can stay there for a lot longer. No, absolutely. And, and he bleeds black, white, and gold. He does. That kid, he really, really does. Uh, Robbie, look, thank you very much. This has been an incredible experience for me personally and professionally on behalf of the firm. I just want to thank you for your contribution to the West Tigers, to the game of rugby league itself, and what you've done for Brighton Lawyers as well. Uh, it's something that we'll never forget. Thank you very much, mate. And I know if I ever get in trouble down the track, I've got free legal advice from you. Uh, I, can, I can guarantee that. Uh, <laughs> not look, that I'll be getting in trouble. No, not at all. <laughs> Uh, look, thank you very much all for listening again to episode two of Law Pod. Tune in again next week for another very interesting podcast. Uh, if there's anything in particular that you're interested in hearing about with respect to Bryden's lawyers, the sort of work that we do or the associations that we do have, don't hesitate to email us at lawpod at brydens.com.au. And make sure you follow us on all our social media posts, whether that be Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Again, thank you very much and thank you to my special guest, Robbie Farah. <laughs>